Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Kyle Stokes from WFIU and Impact Indiana. And we're pleased today to have as our guest in the studio, Indiana University President Michael McRobbie. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. Or you can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, President McRobbie, thanks for being here. Pleasure as always, Bob. All right. We are, we're always happy to have you here to update us on what's going on with the university, and uh, we hope we get a few calls before the uh, the day is out. So I wanted to start off just by talking about um, the legislative session. We had a story in our paper today. You spent some time with the House Ways and Means Committee yesterday making your pitch to the legislature. Um, our story said that you're a little more optimistic this year about funding. I hope we were right. Uh, it was an excellent article. I thought you you, you captured uh, the things I said and the general uh, spirit and tenor of the of the meeting very 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 well. Mike's to be complimented on that article. Um, I I think uh, I started meeting with members of the legislature last year, uh, November December, and uh, have now appeared before um, all the relevant committees: the State Budget Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, the House Ways and Means Committee. Met with. Um, uh, with all the leadership now, I met with a few more yesterday, uh, and uh, obviously have had some um, discussions with the governor-elect, Governor-elect Pence. Uh, and, and I think overall, uh, to a person, um, the the tenor uh, with respect to a higher education um, is, is just a lot more positive than it has been in the past. Now. Um, I, I think part of the reason that that uh, it, it was a, a somewhat um, difficult, a tense situation in the past is simply because uh, the state's um, revenue had fallen, um, the uh, the budget was under severe strain, uh, and uh, it, in in such uh, circumstances, uh, one, one is inevitably going to have um, uh, 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 people uh, running into some conflict over over. Um, uh, diminishing resources. I think there's there's no doubt the state's fiscal situation has improved a bit, but I think there's also a realization that um, that if you like that that we've endured um, now about four years of cuts, and uh, it's starting to really impact the quality of um, higher education. That I think this was picked up by uh, Commissioner Lubbers in her uh, state of uh, higher education speech a couple of nights ago, and I think that. There's a there's a realization that the time really has come to reinvest uh, in higher education. There's a renewed interest in in uh, uh, in higher education. The vital role that it plays in the state as a engine of economic growth is um, a key mechanism for educating the sons and daughters of uh, Indiana, and that uh, the, the whole question of of affordability. Is really a is a two way street. I mean, we've done I, th- I think a huge amount to to keep an IU education affordable, but it really it really in, needs the involvement of the state as well to 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 keep an IU education affordable. So all of that put together, and and I think a genuine appreciation on the part of the members of the legislature that um, that we really have made strenuous efforts to become more efficient and to. Uh, ensure that an IU education remains affordable. It's an appreciation of that, and we've been relentless about that now for, um, certainly over the period I've been president, uh, both those both those areas, and, and they've seen the results of it, and uh, they're impressed, and I think they think now it's time to look at um, how can they uh, uh, how can they invest uh, to uh, best support uh, the quality of higher education in the state. You mentioned Commissioner Lubbers, and obviously it was sort of something that she came out with. It was a theme right. of her speech being reinvestment in the state's right. higher education institutions. Right. Also coming out with a recommendation that 
the state legislature provide extra funding in exchange right. for you guys holding the line on tuition. How has that relationship kind of evolved over the past two years? Because as you mentioned, the tenor of the conversation seems to be completely different. Oh, I've known Commissioner Lubbers a long, long time. Uh, and uh, I think she's, uh, she's a, uh, a passionate advocate for uh, for higher education and for education uh, more generally in in the state, and uh, uh, we've we've had discussions over a number of years about some of the policies. We've tried to be as supportive as we 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 can of of reaching higher the um, strategic plan for higher education in uh, in Indiana. We've had discussions about the performance funding formula, um, how to improve that so that it focuses more on outputs, which. In, in, in essence for us really as graduates, the number of people that we that we graduate and then you get secondary uh, factors like um, t- time to degree and graduation rates and so on as well. Uh, uh, focusing on that, um, the the uh, an understanding of the role of research and so on. And I think the commission has has listened and has taken uh, into account uh, some of our some of our concerns. And uh, the the recommendation that came out of the commission um, at the recommendation of uh, Commissioner Lubbers, uh, 3.5% uh, increase in operating expenses, uh, the funding of four new buildings, um, uh, so, so four, four new building projects, uh, some of them are multiple projects, at Indiana University, um, and, uh, and f- f- a partial funding of R&R, which is so essential to us with our massive deferred maintenance uh, bill and the... Uh, in the university, um, plus uh, some funding for for research, uh, all of that is is uh, extremely welcome uh, to us, and we're very grateful for her support, and we're very grateful to the commission for their support. I want to give our phone numbers again. Uh, our numbers are eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington, one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the Bloomington area, and you can join live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. If you don't recognize the voice, we're talking to uh, IU President Michael McGrabby. I don't know what could give me away, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, you have a cold, but it's not making much difference here. Uh, one of the uh, points, I can't remember which legislator made the point yesterday, was that actually your job might be more difficult because there is more money and there will be more people with their handout asking for money. Uh, there will be more decisions to make on how to spend it because in the past couple of years it was – no was sort of the the standard answer. I think it was Doc Brown, the chair yeah. of uh, House Ways and Means, actually who said yeah. that. And, and how, I mean, how do you respond to that? I, I imagine you're up for that challenge. Uh, oh yes. Um, oh, oh no. I mean, I, I fully uh, I, I fully appreciate the the difficulty of their job. I think the, he made that um, he, he made that comment in a humorous uh, vein, but but he, but it's a very good point. I mean, uh, there are a lot of very um, uh, worthy. Places and, and ways in which the state could uh, could start to invest um, in the uh, I- in the state, and or the legislature could start to invest in the state. And um, you know, we are clearly one of them. We we believe we we are extremely important. We'll make that case as uh, as energetically as we as as we can. We'll advocate for it as energetically as we can. But there are others who are doing the same the same thing, and so the, they are going to have a difficult uh, a difficult task. But I think. At the end of the day, the the role that higher education plays in the long term future and prosperity of the state is just unarguable, and and that's what um, we hope will carry the day uh, for us as well. Eight five five zero eight one one. If you have a question for Indiana University President Michael McRobbie, before we uh, before we paint too rosy of a budget picture, there is this thing that's happening in two months here um, on the federal budget side, and that's the potential for further uh, sequestration. That's how long the. U.S. Congress has kind of pushed down the line, automatic federal budget cuts. Uh, You've been very uh, vocal about this in writing a couple of op-eds and and saying that really research funding is is what's at stake here for Indiana University. I'm wondering if you can talk about what the impact is and maybe more than the impact because you've talked about that before – what is the the level of fear? Are we starting to pencil in these budget cuts and acting as though these budget cuts are going to be the reality, or do you and are are you not as worried about it um, as as kind of the, the the fears about this grow? Well, I I I I, I guess one has to prudentially be concerned about the possibility that um, in this. Uh, in this uh, extraordinary prolonged uh, 
uh, confrontation uh, between the, the various parties uh, in in Washington that um, that we may actually go over the cliff. I think the um, the consequences of that for the world economy, for the economy of this nation, for the perception of this nation, and uh, by the rest of the world, for the role that it plays in in the rest of the world, would be just devastating. And um, I, I'm hoping that. Um, that uh, even though it may go to the brink, that eventually some way forward will be uh, will be found. Um, uh, and and uh, it, it to me it is it is an extraordinary concern that that when you look at the role that research has played in uh, in the the productivity and growth of the American economy, and that there are the figures around that, uh, if I remember them rightly, uh, show that. Um, about a half of all the economic growth that has taken place over the last 40 years can be directly tied back to research that came out of universities. So, so the universities have been a source, have been intellectual innovation powerhouses for the, for the American economy. And that's becoming even more so when you, when you see that um, the great laboratories that, that used to the great um, private industry laboratories that used to play such a major role, um, Bell Labs being the classic one everybody points to, Xerox Park being another, even IBM's labs, which are probably not what they used to be. Uh, um, many of those are no longer operate as well, and many companies are relying more and more. And and I think John Lechleiter, the the CEO chair of Lilly, um, effectively alluded to this, are relying more and more on the innovation coming out. Of universities uh, for, for for the fundamental um, uh, sort of intellectual property and innovation uh, for their for their products as well. So so drastic and dramatic cuts to the NIH, which in real terms has stayed stable now for quite some time, to the to the NSF, to the Department of Energy, and to the other uh, major funding agencies, um, directly then impact. The ability of the of the, uh, the of the country to continue to grow because it starts to stifle the innovation coming out of the universities. It's that's the simple equation. I tried to make that in a couple of editorial op eds that I've written in various uh, papers, and and um, so as of many of my colleagues, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully people will start to see um, see that as well. Uh, but I, I don't want to by saying any of that minimize the the uh, complexity and difficulty of the economic. Um, problems and issues that confront the nation. We've had uh, some guests on the show uh, talking about the fiscal cliff, some very uh, wise people from the Keller School and from SPIA, and and, uh, I don't think there's anybody that disagrees with your point of view and and the idea that uh, this is something the the politicians need to really sort out and figure out before we keep going to this cliff. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean... um, Maybe getting beyond my brief, as it were, Bob. But, but I, I mean, I, I could add that um, that, that, that it, it seems, I think, to most people that, that whatever the solution to the problem is going to the, the nation's problem problems is going to be, it's going to somehow have to involve revenue to some degree, and it's going to somehow have to involve expenditure cuts to some degree, and it's going to have they're going to have to work out some sort of bipartisan solution, and and uh, and that seems to have been the challenge. I mean, when you look at when you look at uh, People, politicians from the state, Lee Hamilton and Dick Luger, different parties, um, just just remarkable men. Just just a history of of being able to sort of compromise across the aisles um, for I think what forty years of, of of their careers in the nation's interest over and over again. I mean that's the spirit that hopefully will get us through this ultimately. Well, and and it also is is true that someone like you, I mean, university president, uh, you've had to look at. You know, revenue has has not exactly been going through the roof, so right. you have to look for ways to find new revenue. And at the same time, you've had to make some very tough calls to make budget cuts. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I think that's, the, that's what all of us have been facing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, our number is 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. If you don't want to talk on the phone to us, you can also join us online, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Let's uh, assume optimistically for a minute that the sequestration doesn't happen and that 2013 progresses uh, in a much more sort of normal manner. What are your major uh, agenda items for the next 12 months? Well, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've, we've brought about so much change over the last 18 months that, uh, to be frank, Bob, I see a lot of, a lot of my time over the next year uh, being, being spent in, uh, 
in in helping to bed down those um, those particular changes. Uh, uh, I mean, we have um, uh, just uh, just to start going through the list. We have the uh, the new School of Global and International Studies, which I think you know how important I think that particular initiative is. I I think um, that that is an area where we have the we have the the the, the, the very strong possibility of of vaulting right to the to the top um, in terms of. Uh, uh, the standing of that school, as I say, over the next five years or so, um, uh, once it's established, but there's a there's a big job to be done there. Uh, I've been personally involved in um, uh, all aspects of establishing that school. I have to compliment uh, the, the executive dean of the college, Larry Singel, and um, the professor Bell for the just outstanding job they've done in getting that getting that underway. And all the faculty in the college have contributed to this so much. But there's a there's a huge amount of work to be done uh, to get that underway. Um, we also will be uh, breaking ground on the new building for international studies in uh, the end of um, April, right at the end of April, um, and so so that um, that is uh, causing a bit of heartburn among those who've got to you know get get all that done and get that in place, and because we'd have to we'd have to have that uh, open within two years, um, two years of op- of the the groundbreaking. So so for each of the different initiatives, um, that school, the merger of informatics and SLIS. Uh, the establishment of the two schools of public health, the establishment of the school of um, of uh, philanthropy, uh, the, um, the 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 continued establishment of our online education uh, initiative, Are You Online, uh, and so on. Um, all, all of that takes um, takes a lot of effort, and a lot of a lot of work. And much of it's done, of course, by the provost and chancellors and so on. But but uh, but quite a lot of it takes my my own involvement there, uh, and then there's looking forward. Um, I think you're you're aware. Maybe you were going to ask me about this. There was a, I think a very good report came out on the, the whole question of the merger of uh, journalism, um, telecommunications, communication, and culture, and um, I thought a very thoughtful and very useful document um, uh, came out of that uh, that particular committee. And and to me that is a um, an honest and, and fair facing up to the sort of reality of of the changes in in your industry, Bob. Actually, I mean, I could I could actually oh, start yeah, inter- interviewing you about this. We're, we're keeping our eyes open about that. <laughs> and and, um, and and I think there's obviously it's early days on that particular report, but but that's uh, that's another very exciting initiative. Uh, and and I think you can start to see that that the face of the the campus, the face of Indiana University, is really starting to change. It was it was like. Um, like I said, uh, I may have said this last time you interviewed me, but but uh, when we started the whole new academic directions process, I, I said to people, look, if you had a budget of $3 billion, which is our budget, and you were to design Indiana University today, just restrict yourself to the, the two uh, major campuses. If you were going uh, to design the campus today, the university today, um, would anybody design it exactly as it is today? Not a single person's ever said yes. And I said, given that, um, how would we design it? What would be the kinds of things that we would uh, do if we were designing it from scratch today with a budget that big? Um, and then how can we maybe start to move in that direction? And I think um, I've been really enormously grateful for the spirit with which the faculty and staff and others in the university have, have sort of risen to the occasion of, of really trying to, to to take the spirit of that and, and, and move the institution forward in that way. I'm curious about that. Is it a situation where you sit down and ask them that question to say, do we want to get rid of um, – get rid of redundancies between the different colleges and institutions within the university or is it for, or, or are you looking to reorganize it from the perspective of a student who's coming into a university and trying to find all of that all, all of, of that. all yeah. of the above you, know, you may not have had a chance to see it Carl but if you if you have a look at the charge that I wrote to the new academic directions committee a couple of years ago it, it, it says all that uh, we're looking at it from from the point of view of the student and then looking at it from the point of view of uh, how can we best utilize our resources to, to, to support the, re- the university's research enterprise and so on as well um, and and uh, uh, it, it really is um, um, it, it, it really is a matter of you know how can we how can we best configure the university with respect to um, what are the major emerging trends in 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 society that that we need to be educating our students for and we need to be um, 
performing research in those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that report is really, I would say, must-reading for anybody who's on the faculty or who's yes. engaged with the university because there, there really aren't too many surprises about what direction you're going if you look at that report. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just, just look at the report. That's right. I mean, it's you're sort of ticking things off That's one right. at a time as you, That's right. you go through. That's right. Yeah. And I, I know... You know, you see these reports. I mean, I've you know, been in universities all my life, and you, quite often you see these reports, and and uh, they come out, and there's much um, you know tr- trump- trumpeting of them, and so on, but not much happens. But right. uh, here, here we've we've um, uh, already implemented a, a substantial amount of what was recommended in that report. Mm-hmm. All right, I want to give our phone numbers again. Then we're going to take a short break. We uh, will we'll come back with we hope some questions from people out there in the audience. Our numbers are eight five five zero eight one one. One eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or join us uh, on a live chat. Kyle will field your questions. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand. Pick them up at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? The WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Catch the Friday feature just after 8.30 during Morning Edition, just before Noon Edition, and at 5.45 during All Things Considered. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Get an email question. Welcome back to Noon Edition. Kyle, we're back. <laughs> Welcome back to Noon Edition. <laughs> surprise here. <laughs> right. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Kyle Stokes from Impact Indiana and WFIU. Our guest today is Indiana University President Michael McRobbie. If you would like to join us with a question or a comment, please phone us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Or you can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We had a question come in to us uh, from uh, Professor Emeritus now, uh, Herb Terry, um, who, who brought up the issue that, that's been also getting a lot of discussion lately, and that's the uh, initiative to potentially privatize parking operations on campus. The idea obviously being sell, uh, lease off assets uh, to get a large upfront payment that eventually would make money over time uh, and kind of a kind of a lease back of our parking operations that would be then managed by another company and what Professor Emeritus Terry sort of wrote in and, 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 and asked essentially, does this not then hand off extra costs to the students, staff, and faculty of Indiana University? I'm wondering if that's – I think that's the essential question surrounding the privatization issue. Well, um, there's a uh, – I think it's well known. There's, there's a, um, a report coming uh, – it's going to be the beginning of March – um, on this on this very topic um, uh, as, as to um, uh, what the the figures would uh, would look like um, and and frankly I, I, until until we see that report there 's not a huge amount I can say but the thing i the thing I will say and i I said this at uh, i think it was the last trustee meeting um, to the representatives from the, the faculty there, uh, and uh, I've also said it in the um, University Faculty Council, and, and it is that when you look at the sources of um, revenue, of income for the university, uh, on this campus in particular, there, there, are, there are basically four of them. There's a state appropriation, there's tuition, there's externally funded um, research, and there's private philanthropy. That's it. There isn't any other magic source. We don't, we don't print money. We're not digging up gold somewhere on campus. We don't pump oil. That's it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> They're the four sources of, of income. And go through them all. State appropriation, well, we may get um, a, a modest increase um, this year. Still far from determined. It's early days, the first innings, et cetera. Um, uh, tuition, we're under enormous pressure to keep tu- tuition increases at um, 
at, at, at very low levels, something like CPI and, and so on as well, and we're committed to trying to do that. Federally funded research, you just asked me about the impact of the cliff. I mean, if, if, and even now, competition for grants is getting tougher and tougher. I think we've done a remarkable job in staying as competitive as we have in those circumstances. And private philanthropy has been a relative plus for us, but that tends to be very focused on specific areas. It's not part of the general fund of the institution. Now, given that, and given our, the goals in the institution to keep uh, uh, giving people pay raises, to, to keep um, building buildings, to keep hiring the very best faculty, et cetera, et cetera, um, I, I think we simply have to look at all the possible sources of um, uh, of additional revenue um, in the university that we can. And what I challenged the faculty to do was um, it, it, certainly it's easy to criticize attempts made by the administration to at least look at some of these sources. Please instead think about ideas you may have for where we can actually find some additional revenue. What other ideas out there? And, and Carolyn Colloway Thomas, the president of the Faculty Council in Bloomington at the moment, um, I was really taken, really took that to heart and said, uh, said uh, she really thought it was incumbent upon the, the, the faculty to, to, to cut, look, at, look at ideas, cut, try to come up with ideas and proposals here too. And I'm looking forward to what ideas and thoughts they may have in that regard too. We, 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 we'll certainly be, be open to any, any ideas and thoughts that, that people come up with. All right. We have a phone call. Let's go to Will. Will? Ah, thank you. Um, President McGrawby, I appreciate uh, what you said, everything about um, the impact of uh, the university on the uh, local economy and so forth. And as I travel around um, the country looking at you know, other universities, uh, including, you know, I think recently Stanford uh, projected they had an impact of $3 trillion on the local and uh, uh, national economies. I'm wondering what IU is doing on that front as well. Yeah, we, we had, uh, I mean, Stanford is in, it really is in a class of its own because of the because of the extraordinary impact that um, Silicon Valley has had, and so much of that, of course, is, is uh, Stanford land. And so, so their figure is just going to dwarf anybody else's. But we had a study done, I think it was about a year ago um, or so, uh, of what is, the, what is the economic impact of Indiana University and what is the economic impact of Indiana University and IU Health combined, since IU Health is, um, is so uh, 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 closely uh, uh, connected and integrated with, uh, with the university? And that, that report um, said that the economic impact was, was well in excess of um, $10 billion uh, in the state. In fact, if you put IU and IU Health together, we are the largest employer in the state. And that really puts it in perspective, the, the impact that Indiana University has. Another statistic I'm always fond of quoting is if you um, – if you uh, sorry, the number of uh, graduates uh, from, from IU um, that we had last May, about just over 20,000, it was is about the same as Purdue and Ivy Tech combined. So we're also the biggest generator of baccalaureate, master's level, PhD level degrees um, in the state. Uh, so, so by any by any measure, the the impact of Indiana University and Indiana University Health in in this state is just absolutely fundamental and quite profound. Let's give the numbers again here uh, to give a question for uh, Indiana University President Michael McGrabby. We promised him a wide-ranging discussion, so if you have a question for him, he'd be happy to field it at eight five five zero eight one one if you're in the Bloomington area, or you can call toll free at one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. Uh, I, I want to ask you a, a question about – you mentioned one of the big trends that, that Indiana University has been following as well as one of the major initiatives being in the IU Online Initiative, massively open online courses or, or MOOCs um, as, as they've been shorthanded to. What is prompting the, the Indiana University's foray into this, into this arena and how do you keep it from being just a gimmick or just something that adds on uh, sort of a, an ancillary part but it doesn't really forward the university's mission? It's just something that, that you have and it's shiny and new and it's online. So uh, how do you bring it beyond that point? Well, uh, I, I think I think as a, a, a as a university, we, we, we really have a duty to uh, to to be at the um, experimental prototyping van, vanguard of of any uh, initiative, any new initiatives out there, either ones we develop ourselves or ones we see others developing that we want to uh, rapidly try to adapt. 
um, to to provide a um, a better education and and, and 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 in many cases a more affordable education um, to our, to our students. Um, and there there has been um, over recent years uh, this explosion of of interest in, um, in in the use of technology, which is becoming um, uh, so uh, uh, commoditized now that uh, that it's almost throwaway, uh, and and the quality of the interactive experience is becoming uh, so high high quality, and um, some of the ways in which. Uh, developments in pedagogy and so on are being inco- can be incorporated into online um, instruction. Um, uh, that that uh, that it, it, there is a feeling this is this is really going to fundamentally change the game. And one scene, uh, obviously the 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 birth of MOOCs. I mean, MOOC, MOOCs is now uh, the the buzzword du jour <laughs> in higher education around the world. Um, I've been invited to conferences you know elsewhere in the world specifically to talk about these these areas given my IT background and so on um, so um, we we are we, we, when we announced um, are you online I wanted it to be a, a thoughtful uh, response to some of these these trends um, uh, professor Bar Bickelmeyer is is the director of our efforts in in this area she's a, a very distinguished Professor in the School of Education and has been doing a wonderful job um, um, moving this initiative forward. We we announced our first uh, MOOC, I think, just a couple of days ago. Um, Professor Cody Borner in in what will soon be the School of Informatics and Computing. Um, it will be teaching a a, a MOOC on her um, area of um, expertise, which is information visualization, where she's probably one of the leading experts of the world. I, I noted that Cardi is speaking about this very topic at the Davos um, World Economic Summit, which I think is a comment on um, uh, Cardi's uh, standing as well. Um, and and this will this will give us a very this will give us first hand experience in an area where I think there is considerable interest. Uh, about the utilisation of MOOCs. Now, having said all that, we're well aware of the pluses and minuses. The, well, the pluses include um, uh, the ability to be able to um, schedule education at, at any time that suits people. Uh, it's broad um, accessibility. Um, uh, it, it, it's um, it, it's reach beyond uh, the, the confines of a campus and so on as well. But there's no shortage of negatives either. No one knows what that. No one yet has defined what the economic model is um, that that would sustain MOOCs, other than them them being a relatively um, uh, a relatively small number of of um, such uh, ways that really act as a sort of marketing arm for the university. That's yet to be that's yet to be determined. Um, there are real issues about identity. If if you're giving badges for people who who do well on on MOOCs, how do you know the person you're giving that badge to is the person who actually did the course? Um, the whole issue of cheating has become has become a really big problem. Where you where you're having um, peer based grading of of uh, uh, MOOCs as well. So, so uh, as I said, I think it's really incumbent upon us to be to be to be uh, um, investigating all these technologies we will and what have you. But we want to go into it with open eyes too, that um, and not be starry eyed, as it were, to torture the analogy. Uh, in this particular area. And I think this year is going to be a very interesting year in the development of these technologies. I should say just one final comment. You know, I've been, I've been in, you know, in IT all my life, and I've seen wave after wave like this come before. So, so I do bring a, a naturally cautious attitude um, to, to uh, the way we should approach this. Um, when I first came to IU, distributed education was the, was the buzzword, uh, like MOOCs is today. And um, everybody thought that was going to fundamentally change things. Well, it really didn't. Before that, back in the 70s, it was what was called computer-aided learning or computer-aided instruction. That was the buzzword then. And, of course, that had some impact, but it was not the revolutionary force that people thought it was going to be and so on. 855-0811 if you have a question for Indiana University President Michael McRobbie. Toll free at 877-285-9348 or our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, where Rob Fishman has this question. Uh, President McRobbie, do you think that uh, IU Bloomington has a stake in keeping the IU Health Hospital in Bloomington? And if so, what influence does the university exert in the hospital's consideration of a move out of the city? Uh, I'm not quite certain. Is the the writer 
talking about the move of the hospital somewhere else. I mean, Ohio or something. No, I, I think he must be. He must be referring to the the uh, the discussion about oh, the, a new hospital uh, in Bloomington about, about the land that the hospital has at North Park. So. I, I mean, that 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 matter is is uh, is is been sort of still under discussion, and no decisions have been made about any of that yet. Uh, I mean, the, the decision is ultimately made by the AU Health Board, actually, and the, I'm the vice chair of that board, but, um, uh, but that, that's a matter that's uh, uh, far from um, uh, decision-making decision at this time. I, I should add, and this is really just a, a side comment, uh, too, that um, I, I think that, that people in um, hospital systems all around the, around the country are, uh, are, are obviously trying to come to terms with what the change in the healthcare environment is going to be following um, the the passage and, and now the implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a couple of phone calls. I want to thank Will, who called us earlier in the program, but let's go to Paul now. Paul? Yes. I was wondering, um, this is not directly related to the university itself specifically, um, but I'm a bit concerned as to the, um, shall we say, the ever-increasing socioeconomic um, rise of the general student body of the university. Um, It seems that that IU and Bloomington itself is becoming what we used to uh, term more and more yuppified all the time. Mm. And um, I'm wondering if um, if increasing Increasing, shall we say, electronic learning and things like that doesn't uh, somewhat lead to a bit of a ghettoization of lower income uh, students because the um, the rents and the cost of living in Bloomington are becoming so high that um, that it almost uh, seems to be that a lot of students um, are going by default, either to Ivy Tech, which is even becoming more difficult for students to attend if they're not already in the local system, because the rents and the the cost of living in Bloomington, I realize they're not like New York or California, but for Indiana, they've become outrageous. Um, uh, The the cost of tuition is, is, is almost secondary to um, secondary to to the cost of living in general in this town for a student to be able to to simply rent an apartment, um, the, the, we have students that are paying uh, three and four thousand dollars a month for two and three bedroom apartments. Paul, Paul let me let's get uh, the president's reaction to the things you're saying. I, I I probably got three three comments to make. I, I think that I think that's that's an excellent question. I think some of the points you raise really are. Uh, are really salient ones. Um, firstly, uh, and I'm embarrassed, I've forgotten which of my colleagues said it. It may have been um, President Michael Crow at Arizona State, but but one of, another president in the country made a statement recently that we, we simply have to avoid a situation where you really have two classes of people, um, uh, the, the, the rich um, or the wealthy who are able to afford a, a residential um, educational experience uh, who who have um, in person uh, education and then uh, online education for uh, for those without the resources. So so you really have a a, a divide between uh, between the two classes of people. I think that would be a disastrous situation. I mean, I think one of the one of the one of the great uh, things about public higher education in America over the centuries really is that it has been a fundamental force for. The democratization of education has made it through universities like Indiana University and and uh, and the other great state universities, state public universities. It has made a high quality, first rate education right across the disciplines, liberal arts based, um, available to to anybody who was who was um, uh, qualified uh, in in the state. Um, and and I and, and I think we we have to avoid a situation where. We really have two classes: those who can't afford a, a, that kind of education um, because it becomes unaffordable, and and uh, and, and those who are left to to to, to defend uh, in an online sense. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, uh, is that um, we we uh, uh, certainly have um, uh, seen um, uh, a, a lot of uh, interest in our um, 
student residences on campus, and uh, and that is, um, uh, and I think that's a that really does. Um, uh, that really is a sort of comment on on what you what you're saying about um, uh, about affordability and so on and and they have been they have been very popular and remain popular we're going through a process of upgrading them which I think has helped their their popularity a lot and and uh, as you know freshmen have to live in dorms at uh, at IU and um, and they seem to be becoming more popular among students from um, upper classes and the thirdly I wanted to say your, your point about the campus being yuppified I, I would not agree with that and the reason is that um, we have I think about a third of our uh, students on this campus from memory about a third of our students come from families with um, with combined family incomes of only $50,000 or less and y- y- you just cannot be a yuppie frankly if, if you're coming from that kind of a background I mean you're going to be really struggling to make it through and uh, I think it's about three quarters of our students get some form of of financial aid, so so although we certainly are attracting students from um, uh, high income backgrounds, I think the majority of our students, in fact, come from lower or, or certainly um, uh, struggling middle class backgrounds. Okay, thank you, Paul. We appreciate your call in, and let's go next to Karen. Hi, hi, Karen. I am hi. I'm an educator um, in healthcare sciences and have been for years. And I just want to make a comment and see what uh, he he has to say. Um, I'm a little disappointed in the reduction, if not elimination, of two-year degrees within the university. Now, I know that the university may argue that that's not the place, and often those those fields are more technical in nature, but and may argue that it's much less expensive, perhaps, to go through a community college uh, rather than get tied up in a four-year degree. Of course, often those students do continue on to get a four-year degree, but unfortunately, when you don't offer the two-year degrees and they have to go through the community college, often, um, I know it's less expensive, but frankly, you get what you pay for, and this can be of lesser quality, uh, less academic rigor, and even overcrowded. Um, and I think it also sends a message to these students that want a two-year degree that we're not interested in them, or that their fields that can be accomplished with two years for entry level are not important. Um, and so I would just like a comment on that. It seems to run counter to the idea that we need to be producing more college graduates, not necessarily bachelor's or master's degrees is, has been the goal of both state higher education officials and big philanthropies like the, the Lumina Foundation, to name one. Well, we, um, I think the key, the key point here is, is that um, we, we took the decision now about five years ago to to um, to no longer um, offer associate's degrees except in areas where uh, no one else in the state uh, was offering them or had the ability to, to offer them as well. And the, re- with the reason we simply did that was um, that uh, that this was an area where we, we were in competition with the community college system, with with Ivy Tech, um, and, and this, this was not a good use of the state's resources to have um, one of its two AAU top research universities competing with the community college system over two-year degrees. Um, Ivy Tech offers a perfectly competent um, two-year associate's uh, degrees, uh, and uh, um, we decided that uh, that we would, as a research university, focus on baccalaureate degrees, on master's degrees, and obviously on, on PhDs as well. In spite of that, and you remember, Carl, I, I'm, I made this point yesterday in my appearance before the um, the legislature that that uh, over the last, I think it's uh, I think it's five years from memory, um, we have still increased by um, over twelve thousand the number of students at um, Indiana University uh, during um, that uh, particular period with, that, with, with decreased resources, I should, I should add. And to put that in perspective, 12,000 is about the number of students there are at Indiana State as well. So we have seen no decline, and we've certainly seen an increase overall on the state in graduate numbers, our, our graduates, Purdue's, Ivy Techs, and the other institutions as well. 
I want to ask just to follow on with that. First, give the numbers briefly of 855-0811. Just a few more minutes left to get in your question to uh, Indiana University President Michael McRobbie. But to follow on on that that point about producing more degrees, I was looking at some some government projections earlier today, and they just came out this week. And if we're to reach the goal of 60 percent college completion nationally in terms of college completion, there's a figure that's floating out there that we need to somehow get 23 million more people through college. Um, these government numbers that came out today say we, we won't even have a million more graduates at all levels of higher education if nothing changes within by that, basically by that time, by about 2021. Um, how do we move the needle? <laughs> That's a, it's a huge gap that we have to close, especially when you look at it from through that lens or the fact that we need to get about 600,000 more people through college in Indiana if we want to meet that goal. Well, um, I think uh, there's no doubt that that, that is going to be um, a hard goal to reach. Um, nevertheless, I think the goal of continuing to increase as um, as aggressively as we can within within reason, within limits, um, the number of people with degrees in the state, whether it's you know whether it's PhDs or associates degrees, is um, is extraordinarily important. I mean, all. Every study that's ever come out has shown that uh, people uh, fare better in the economy with a post-secondary qualification than without one. And, and uh, uh, not only do they do they fare better personally in terms of the kinds of employment that they, they can get, but that in turn has an impact on the on the, on the state uh, uh, more broadly as well. So um, uh, this, of course, just to digress, this this of course is one of the reasons why people are so interested in mechanisms. Uh, for um, decreasing the cost of higher education. If, if one really could um, ha- have completely automated uh, instruction, which which I think is um, uh, may happen one day, but it certainly is a long way away, uh, then the, the feeling would be that you should be able to drive the costs right down this way, and hence achieving that 60% figure would become uh, relatively trivial. Well, everybody knows it's not as easy as that. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than that. But nevertheless, I mean, quite rightly, that's what's driving an interest in in other mechanisms because they see this as people see this. We all see this. I see this as a way of of being able to drive up the number of students that we graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about five minutes to go. I have two or three things I want to ask you uh, for some fairly quick answers, I guess. One is about the tech park out on 10th Street. I know you know the highway is finished now, and mm-hmm. that was a, a big deal to get that highway finished. Yes. What's, what's next for that area? Um, I, I, I must say I'm delighted the highway's finished. I think it's it's now uh, so much nicer to travel down there, which I think in turn makes <laughs> makes it more pleasant for people to go out to the tech park there. We, we're um, we're we're in the process, uh, Bob, of, of um, in the final stages of reviewing um, some uh, uh, proposals that would um, estab- hope- hopefully establish um, a, a public-private partnership on the um, on the bypass and enable us to expand the the, the tech park further. Um, I think uh, uh, we've made a good start out there. There's a lot. There's a lot more to lot more to be done. But but the, 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 I think the key thing about it is is we really do have. Um, the the nucleus of a, of a of a major development. We have a lot of land out there. I think, as you know, a lot of space, and we can we can expand significantly. And and of course, um, we we will be bringing a what I think will be um, to to some uh, to some external uh, organisations at least, or some companies, something of enormous interest in a couple of months, and that'll be the arrival of Big Red Two, which will be the the most powerful supercomputer um, in the United States at any at any university owned by that that particular uh, university. So, it 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 will um, it will mark IU's uh, uh, re-entering uh, the um, the high performance computing stakes again at the very very top. And we think that system will be somewhere in the top fifty most powerful systems in the world when we uh, when we commission it in uh, in April as well. Mm-hmm. April is going to be full of events, by the way. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, minority recruitment, minority students. I think you. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say the university has fallen a little bit short of your goals for minority recruitment. What, what are you going to do in 2013 about that? Very, very quickly, when you look at the when you look at the overall numbers for the whole university, um, uh, the, the the numbers on the the regional campuses of minority students roughly approximate the uh, minority population of the regions where our regional campuses are, and the same is true though not to the quite the same degree in Indianapolis. The, the place where the numbers fall fall short 
in spite of the fact there has been some improvement, is in Bloomington. Um, and uh, this has been a matter of um, considerable discussion between the provost and I and, and uh, others. And um, w- one of the things we're looking at at the moment is we spend – we actually um, provide a lot of – uh, a lot of aid in this area. Um, we think there's an opportunity now to maybe better coordinate this 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 aid. Um, it has proved very hard. This is a matter that I uh, I think has been of enormous frustration because, um, in spite of the efforts that have been put in, um, uh, and and you know, I must compliment all that Ed Marshall has done, Vice President Marshall has done in, in this area, it has proved difficult to move the needle much. It has certainly been moved, but it's been difficult to move it as much as, as I would like. So this is something we're focusing on at the moment. I'm hoping we'll have some um, some announcements to make in this area um, this semester. Okay. We have uh, just about a minute to go, and, and we've talked a lot about making co- making the university more affordable, and I know you have some initiatives that have done that. I just want to give you the opportunity to mention one or two things that you've done. Oh, well, the, I think the, the, the two key initiatives, um, Bob, is first is the um, a graduation completion um, a scholarship, uh, which is the, the, the one that, that provides um, a grant to students who are, have finished their sophomore year are on schedule to graduate in four in four years, and this will um, basically cover the cost of any tuition increases in their junior and senior years, uh, and that will be starting next uh, academic year. And of course, we had our, our summer tuition discount of twenty five percent, and uh, this was it, this was moderately successful. We it, 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 we increased the number over summer by. About three percent. The analysis we did seems to indicate that that a, a key factor. There were two, really two key factors. One is people make their plans for for summer well in advance. Even though we announced nearly a year before, it was it would have needed longer than that. I think probably to have more of an impact. Number one. Number two is state and federal financial aid is not available over summer. And I made the plea yesterday. Carl would have heard it to the legislature to, to 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 make state federal aid available over the over the summer. And I think there's efforts underway at the federal level to do the same thing. We think that will that that should improve things. So we'll see how things go this year. Okay, we are out of time. Uh, Michael McRobbie, I want to thank you very much for being here. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. Pleasure as always. All right. And Kyle Stokes, great to be with you. Always fun. Uh, For uh, my usual co-host, Mary Catherine, who couldn't be here, and for producers Gretchen Frazee and Julie Raw, as well as engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.